email message to ease the pain of those known to the victim by attempting to dissipate guilt, to set out the reasons, to express thoughts and feelings that the person felt unable to express in life, to give instructions for disposal of the remains. Marfa, no one is guilty. You don't need to think about guilt or that someone tries to create that feeling in you. Usually in my country, they don't put people in jail, but it was not the case for me. I don't have any family and no one could care about me. So I was put in jail for six months. I met men who thought they were not men anymore. I loved each of them and I learned something from each of them. No one is guilty. Let it burn itself inside of you. Let it go. I sincerely ask you to remember my words. If one day you read them, you are not guilty. No one is. I'm Marco, and this is Songbird. We're talking today about Marfa, which is the second track on Heaven Get Behind Me. And that text that you just heard me reading is actually an email written by this very, very disturbed man who was learning English as a second language from my friend, Marfa, who was my neighbor for quite a long time, uh, worked on a lot of my films with me. It's just a, a wonderful, interesting, funny, smart person. And this guy was stalking her, and of course she blocked him, and he saw her face in a frame from one of my films. So he decided he would send me messages thinking somehow I would hand them along to Marfa, like I'm suddenly his postman. And this is how I came across this very bizarre text. I didn't want to just copy his words and set it to music. That would be really unethical. I just took a couple of fragments from it and then built this person or I built this persona from it. But I built a character out of it, I guess I would say. And that's where all the lyrics came for this song. Of course, people that see a track named Marfa, they think it's about someplace in Texas. That's a good red herring. There's not many people named Marfa. I love that. So let me take a little left turn here. I always say that when a photographer takes a picture, it could be of some shoes they find in the street, their wife, their husband, or their kids, or whatever. It's always a picture of them. I have this catchphrase where I say, Every picture you take is of you. I mean, obviously, that's a very coy thing to say, and it's a little hard to argue with me. But in my own personal experience, I just understand there is a signature to your vision, and how you see the world is how you see yourself. If every picture is of you, then everything is autobiographical. And what I like about that is you don't have to lean into being autobiographical. And in fact, I find that kind of adds accident to injury. I say turn the perspective on someone else, not yourself. And then you're kind of inherently there. You're kind of the glue between the cracks. And suddenly we have this fascinating unknown persona to explore that is this other person. And at the end of the day, if we're lucky, we find out what we have in common with that person. And that common ground is a really interesting territory to write about in films, <laughs> in music, in, in pictures, and I don't know, in a modern dance. I don't know. 
I think when you go out as an I character and try just to tell your story, eh, my toes scrunch up in my shoes a little bit. And I feel like it's someone, oh, I, I broke up with my girlfriend and now I'm really sad. I don't know how engaging it is. As opposed to, you know, my neighbor, I think he broke up with his girlfriend. I don't know if he's okay. Suddenly I want to hear that story. And of course, maybe your neighbor is fine and they're not breaking up with their girlfriend and you're just projecting your own fears onto them. That's interesting. So when I'm writing songs like this, I'm going to put on someone else's coat. I'm going to walk around in their shoes and I'm going to see what I care about. I'm going to see what hurts me. I'm going to see what makes me feel better. I'm going to see what I want. I, I can see what I'm scared of. And then I can talk about that. So what I'm really getting at is, I think it's a great position to try to tell someone else's story as humbly and honestly and respectfully as you can. And you'd only go as far as you can. You don't know everything about someone. You don't know everything about yourself. One of the examples that sticks out really big in my mind is what Bruce Springsteen did on Devils and Dust. There's two tracks on that album, Reno and The Hitter. And you just immediately know within two or three words, this is not a song about Bruce. This is a character that he is talking through. And then at one point, you're not sure if he's talking through that character or if he's talking about himself. The I character can kind of get lost at one point. That's something you're hoping can happen. That's the place I try to get to. The line starts to blur, and you don't really know if this is my confession or their confession. You just know that it's a compelling moment. It definitely requires a lot of imagination. As I mentioned in the first track, the Fellini track, it's a certain kind of acting you've got to do. That is not every song. All I could say is, I love this. Springsteen admitted at one point, the guy who wrote Thunder Road did not know how to drive at the time. I think that's a great example of using your imagination. He had to know what it was like to be behind the wheel with the wind in his hair and his, and his foot on the gas, but nope, he rode around on a freaking bike and he wrote that song. So kudos to your imagination. Here's something I learned in film school. One of my favorite teachers, Dick Rogers, taught us this. Every documentary is essentially just a shitload of lies because you can never really tell the truth. For every 20 minutes or even 100 minutes you shoot, you end up showing one of those minutes. And this tiny, tiny amount that's left is what you build your film from. If you're really trying to tell the truth about who a person is or what an event was, like a war, you can't. You just kind of desperately fail and you just have to embrace that and accept that. The truth is far, far, far more complex than any film can explain, because we're all full of contradictions. And then the other side of that coin is people making narrative films with scripts and actors are actually making documentaries. As Dick explained, the camera doesn't lie. So the relationship of the director and the camera person and the actors, it's sort of like a mirror. The way the actors feel about everyone behind the camera and the way everyone behind the camera feels about the actors, the camera is just documenting that constantly. The camera tells the truth about what you did. And that is what led me to this line in the chorus. This is all a movie. Gotta learn how to lie. One of the things I felt very strongly about was I needed to write with empathy for him. 
Tell all the truth you can, but be kind to him. Don't judge him. Now, I don't know if any of you have had a weird stretch of your life when things kind of got off the rails and your mental health may not have been perfect. I think we've all been young. We've all gone through some major changes in life and the road can be freaking bumpy. Life throws curveballs at us and it just makes perfect sense. Maybe you're looking at birds in the sky and they're telling you your, your secret name. All I can say is um, I've been there. I've been to that place and... There were not alarm bells going off in my head saying, you need some help. So all I can say is, if anyone could read a letter by this guy and say, yeah, buddy, <laughs> I know the place you're in. I felt that I was a bit qualified to speak through him and about him. All right, well, Jesus, this sounds like a freaking therapy session. Okay, let's do something very practical. Let's just listen to the demo. when you can listen to the demo and you're not embarrassed. It's just so relaxed. I actually recorded it a little faster than that. There's such a, you know, old pair of jeans, comfortable feeling to the guitar and voice back and forth that just really makes sense to me. Now, the lyrics definitely got refined from what you're hearing there. My process is I get the broad strokes kind of in place, and then I have to finesse the hell out of them. The diamond needs a shitload of polishing. It's not a diamond in the beginning. It's a, I don't know, it's a zirconium with promise. This is all a movie. Gotta learn how to lie. Martin is my third name. 
here's the thing. I just never got around to explaining what Martin Ruby is, and this is clearly the introduction of Martin is my first name. I like this idea that the guy in the song is sort of introducing himself as if he's saying, you know me, but you don't see me. So hold on, let me, Martin is my first name. And it's almost like he kind of wants a second chance and he's already screwed up something. So why is my music recorded under the name Martin Ruby? Basically, I just didn't want to use my own name because it's not about me. I'd rather take a huge step back. I really don't recognize the person who sings these songs. It's very hard for me to understand that is me. I also like the concept of Martin Ruby being the band name, and then I'm allowed to, you know, be the wizard behind the curtains. Let's talk about the sound of this song. I wanted the verse to be sparse, and I wanted to have this big, lush chorus sort of sweep over you. I tried. I mean, it was, it was a nice idea. So I have a Gretsch Electromatic, which is basically that big orange hollow body. A lot of people call them a Nashville is an easy way to explain it. But it's got this great big twangy hot sound that I believed was going to glue together the whole thing. And that brings us to Glenn Campbell. When I was a kid, we had a pale blue Dodge Dart and an AM radio. And in the summertime, we would drive to the local swimming pool. It was not a short drive. And... Wichita Linesman is probably the first song I heard as a kid that I was, oh, that's a freaking song, man. That's like, that's about something. I don't know exactly what it's about, but every time I hear it, my, my heart beats a little bit louder in my chest. And I don't know, I feel kind of alive when I hear that song. And you know, I am a very lucky person. Two friends of mine, Don DiNicola and Dick Kinnett, coordinated me to have a ticket to a private show that Jimmy Webb and Glenn Campbell did in this tiny restaurant in midtown Manhattan. I, we were sitting maybe 10 feet away from them. And of course, they played this song. And my God, we were smiling like Cheshire cats. And I was just, I was a kid right back in the back seat of that Dodge Dart. So to me, that Gretsch sound, which is the guitar that Glenn plays on so many tracks, that is my personal sound of innocence. So this is another open G song like Fellini. The main acoustic guitar you hear is a Waterloo, which is a ladder braced as opposed to X braced guitar. In my personal opinion, it's a little drier. It's more throaty kind of a sound than an X braced one. They both sound great at the end of the day. It's the Gretsch doing the twangy part and then woven through the chorus is some instruments that are actually samples. There's a Hammond B3, there's a pump organ, and there's a clavinet. They're building out this interweaving long tones, and they're just kind of creating this sonic space just for the chorus. Let's talk about the song structure. You know, this is the only track that has a repeated chorus. I like this portrait of someone so desperate that they just start repeating everything they just said, convinced this is going to make someone understand the crazy shit better. Okay, now let's listen to the finished track.
Martha, you ain't guilty. Tell you the truth about me. Spent some time in jail. Stole money because I was hungry. Met murderers and gamblers. Dealers and weak men. No, Martha, you ain't guilty. Since nobody is. Think of my mama. Why don't she come and take me? Well, that rooster never crows. Every failure was a knife. But that was long ago.
That one really gets me. He's in so much pain. He's so sorry. And he's so screwed up. And I think he knows that he's that screwed up. And after he wrestles with everything, he's just apologizing. I don't know how the hell I got to this. I just put one foot in front of the next. And it's heartbreaking. I will say production-wise, this one got away from me. I mean, I had my big plan. It could be better mixed. It's not there. It's heart is in the right place, though. I cannot emphasize enough. Mastering is such a huge part of getting things to sound right. I am a very lucky person. There's a guy in L.A., Hans Decline. He worked with uh, some band called U2, uh, the Pixies. I mean, I know them. Uh, Lisa Loeb. And, you know, the list goes on and on and on. And thankfully, very early in the process, I got Hans on board to master for me when I finally sent him these files about a year and a half after I told him I was going to be done. And if anything sounds right in this track, it's Hans fixing whatever the hell I gave him. There's a lot of people who give him a ton of credit, and I'm just one of them. My takeaway from this track is that I'm not a very good engineer, but eventually I got better at it. But most important, the performance felt very authentic to me. I just kept telling myself, sing like your heart is breaking, but make the performance really small. You don't have to bleed all over the place for me to understand this. So it's kind of like the opposite of singing like you're in a Disney movie, you know. Sing like a human being. Breathe. And as I explained in the previous episode, no headphones on, alone in a quiet room, is a pretty good way to be authentic. At the end of the song, we basically repeat a few lines from the beginning of the song. And I like this concept of kind of circling back. The first time we heard it, it just kind of, okay, fine. I mean, this doesn't make complete sense, fine. And I'm hoping four minutes later that when you hear those first words again, they mean something different or they maybe they just make more sense. Marfa, you ain't guilty. Tell you the truth about me. That's an interesting ending. All right, songbirds. This was a sad song. There's no way to get around that. But maybe it's, it's kind of a sweet, sad song. Let's leave it at that. This is the part where I ask you to find us on iTunes, Stitcher, or the other gazillion places people listen to podcasts these days. Or you can just go to songbirdpodcast.com. Let's give a big shout out to Bunky Hunt, Whistle Pig Records, Martin Ruby's new home. Next time on Songbird, Towns Van Zandt, A Sudden Thunderstorm, and Young Love. Thanks for listening.